0: Morning, and was greeted by the sunrise. I made a simple meal and enjoyed a moment of peace and stillness. I stepped into my vehicle and joined a million traveling to work today and I arrived safely I spent most of the day at my job doing the same familiar tasks that greet me every day the work that provides for my needs I took a walk in the park received a smile from a stranger. I picked up a few groceries. I spoke with my parents and then I met a friend for coffee. I turned on the radio in my car. I sent a message to someone a thousand miles away. I washed my clothing. unremarkable but they are all profound blessings the fingerprints of your hand help me to grasp the wonder in the small and the simple to notice the miracles which surround me constantly to see the beauty in the commonplace and take nothing for granted teach me to make gratitude a lifestyle which flows into love, rejoicing,
1: GCC? Okay, they did better first service. Good morning, GCC. Good morning. A lot better. Alright, now we have two services, and so you, know, you can compare ages and hair, how much hair people have and don't have, and how awake and alert you are. I mean, if you're coming at 845, you better be awake. Um, so it's nice to have a 1030, right? All God's people said Amen to that, right? Uh, It's really good to see you today. I want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, One involves our small groups, which will begin tonight at 630. Um, If you signed up for the study on the temple, that will meet in the choir room. Um, If you signed up for the study on Philippians, that will meet in the fellowship hall. And then if you signed up uh, for 1 Peter, tonight they will meet here in the sanctuary but every other week, uh, we'll meet in the youth room. Um, the youth are having a, a special event tonight, and so um, they'll be using the youth room. But starting next week, uh, the First Peter study will meet in the youth room, but tonight in the sanctuary. I also need to make mention of the fact that next Sunday, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And when you come next Sunday, these little cups will be in your seat. So please do not sit in your seat when you first come. Please look down. If you do not, you will need to bring a change of clothes as well, okay? So um, we will have the Lord's Supper together next week. You know, we're having to do it a little bit different, but at least we're able to do that. And it's important to remember uh, the death of our Lord and Savior and what that accomplished for us and We're just going to celebrate next week. That's going to be the entire service. It's going to be revolving around what the Lord did for us and the personal examination that needs to go on. And so you have a week to kind of do that, right? To think through that. And so when you come next week, um, it would have been interesting to be a part of the early church where they observed that a lot more often. And, um, you know, it was just a part of community. That's what they did. They got together, celebrated the Agape Feast, and part of that feast was remembering the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, anyway, you come next week. I'm prepared for that, all right? Um, this morning's message is a pretty technical message. I'm just going to warn you about that. It's kind of technical. Um, what I mean by technical is this, that there's a lot of things that you have to consider. So um, I've just never been a believer in skipping over things. So that probably is painful for you at times. You might be going with well, that. Why do we have to look at every single word? Because that's the answer. Because, because I'm going to give an account for every single thing that I say or don't say. So um, I'm just trying to prepare you. I'm not going to keep you until 1 o'clock. But it's kind of a technical message today. I think a message that deserves much attention uh, for every single believer uh, in here this morning. And you say, well, what about you? Well, the Lord has already dealt with me and is continuing to deal with me on this very passage. So I trust it will be a blessing to you. I know this from the comments after first service. There's a lot to think about um, in that text and a lot to consider. And we don't ever need to forget this, guys. The Lord is always observing his church. Okay? He walks among the churches today just as he did before, because he's an omnipresent God, all-knowing God. He knows everything about us. And I would just challenge you, you primarily, you know, there's a lot more younger people here Second Service, but just to challenge you to think about your relationship with Christ. Does it even exist? Is that there? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you said, hey, I believe that Christ died for my sins? I believe that by faith in Him alone, and that's it—by faith alone in Christ—I can have life everlasting. That's, you know, none of us deserve it. You know, we don't stand in front of anyone and say, "I deserve salvation." The Lord is the one that grants that. And um, so, if you're not saved, I would just challenge you to to think through uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you are saved this morning, that you'll think about your fellowship. You'll think about that daily walk and how that looks, and the only reason I'm telling you that is because the Lord deals with me on this. Okay, so everything I'm saying to you, the Lord's already been confirming on my heart that needs to be said. Listen, guys, we have a tremendous opportunity in the day that we're living in to be ambassadors for the gospel of Christ. All you have to do is turn on the television for one or two minutes, and you're going to see it. I mean, these people are—they're hopeless. They're scared. I'm like, hey, I'm neither one. I'm not hopeless, and I'm not scared. I have nothing to fear. I mean, the Lord doesn't want me to be fearful. He wants me to trust in Him daily. And so, hey, we all need those reminders, but I would just encourage you to really examine yourself today. Not your neighbor. It's easy to examine your neighbor. Examine yourself, okay? So, anyway. All right, having said that, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to read... This morning, um, eight verses, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. I'd like for you to stand. When you find that, if you'll stand, and we'll read it together. Somebody's already reading it for us. Amen. Don't you just love when children are... I love it. People used to ask me, did the children bother you in church? Nah. I mean, right? I heard three boys yelling all the time when, I was, when they were growing up. So, all right. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, as we consider what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church about the issue of love. Okay? He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Excuse me, I, I am nothing. Verse three, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And these next verses you hear a lot of times at weddings, right? Um, <laughs> but it needs to be explained like if you're doing it at weddings. This is in the context of spiritual gifts, you know, Paul's writing about. It. He says, "Love is patient. Love is kind." And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's a heavy one. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. There's one we can think about today. There's a lot of people rejoicing in unrighteousness. And that's what's happening. That's a lot of unrighteousness going on in our world. And people are standing there going, that's just fine. But for the believer, we rejoice in what? In truth. All right? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy... They will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy, holy, holy word. All right, let's pray together. Lord, your word tells us where two or more gathered together, you're with them. And so we know you're in our midst today. We don't have to invite you to our service. You're here. Um, And with that said, um, all of us um, need to think about where we are right this moment. How have we come into this service? What are we bringing into this service? Are we holding on to things that really don't need attention right now but later? Are we worried about things that we just can't control? Um, I'm not sure where everyone is, but um, I know for myself, Lord, how important it is every service that um, I'm just submissive to your spirit and being controlled by your spirit. And Lord, for all those that are watching uh, today and for everyone that's in this room, I just pray that you would help us by your spirit to worship you. Uh, in a way that honors you, and Lord, to consider uh, today our own love for you and for others. How does that look? Um, Because your word tells us, Lord, that um, the world will know, as you told your disciples, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So I pray that we would um, examine that today. May you be honored in all that we do. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.
2: Good morning. It's good to see y'all in the service today. We're going to celebrate this morning. Is that okay with you? Is, is, is this worth celebrating? How about what Christ has done in our lives at the cross? That's worth celebrating. So uh, let's just, just kind of hang on and uh, let's let let's do some right now. Okay.
3: Light as power, wonder-working power, in the blood of the Lamb. There is as power, wonder power, in the precious blood of the Lamb. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? in the blood of the Lamb. Would you do service to Jesus your King? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you lift daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the precious blood of the
2: Lamb? Amen. I <laughs> thought we had, thought we'd kind of move on on that one right there. we want to slow it down and let's really worship together as we... Uh, Continue our thought on, on the power of the blood and the power of the cross. Let's, uh, let's sing together the power of the cross.
3: Oh, to see the dawn the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sin.
2: Be seated. It's a new song that I want you to look at the words, and I think you can pick it up real quickly. So as you pick it up, start singing with us. Okay, this is one we're going to be singing in the future. Uh, it's called "Yet Not I, But Christ in Me." So let's uh, let's sing this together. Please pray. Pay attention to the words.
1: Thank you, praise team, and we need to thank them, as well as the other teams and the guys in the back. They're here for two services each week, and I certainly appreciate uh, their commitment to the Lord, and that's what it is, a commitment to the Lord is seen in their service. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of the Revelation in chapter 2. That's where we'll be this morning, and we will finish... Our series entitled, A Personal Examination. We don't like personal examinations, do we? We don't like being examined by our boss. Put in a different context, we don't like to be examined by our dentist. Do we? No. (laughs) How many of you love the dentist? You love the dentist. I actually like going to the dentist. In fact, I'm going Wednesday. Um, You you never know what they're going to find, right? Uh, But I like my teeth feeling clean. Amen? Amen. Um, This letter that is given to the church at Ephesus demanded on their part a personal examination. Um, I want us to read these verses, and then we'll have prayer and begin together. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds. And remember, he reminded them last week that the God that they love and serve knows them full well. There's not one thing he does not know about his church. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But... I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds. In the original language, first occurs before deeds. Do the first deeds, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this do you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There's a good lesson in that. We need to hate what God hates. God does not hate people. It's sin that God hates. Um, He who has an ear, he says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we're asking you this morning that your spirit would teach us that we would be open and receptive to your personal leading in our lives. And if there is one in this place this morning that does not have a personal relationship with you through Jesus Christ, I pray that today could be that day of salvation. And for those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that we would examine our lives, that we would be honest you know it already anyway help us to be honest about where we are in our fellowship with you today and i make my prayer in christ's name amen we are living in a world today where people are very conscious of personal space i was conscious of personal space before the pandemic I don't necessarily like be, people being in my personal space. All of us have that, right? One of the hardest things for me to do is hug someone. I just uh, you know And so this personal space thing is something that today we're very aware of. Um, in fact, we are aware of when people get in our space, and we are more aware of we're, we're in somebody else's space. That's what's happening here. The Lord is getting in the space of these believers. He's in their personal space. He's bringing to light what is going on in the church. The question becomes for us this morning is, are you willing to let him get in your personal space? Are you willing to say, Lord, examine me? Examine me first to see if I'm in the faith, and then just examine me if I am in the faith to see where I am in fellowship with you. So, the title of the series really is a personal examination, but it calls for not only a personal examination, but a corporate examination, where are we as the church. When you read the letter, as we just did, to the church at Ephesus, one typically focuses in on verse 4. There's just this propensity toward that verse. What in the world is the Lord Jesus saying to these people? And by the way, these aren't just people, these believers, those who belong to him. In this series, we started with the question, have you left your first love? Is that something that you have done? Do you know if you are on that slippery slope in your fellowship with the Lord? So we ask questions like this, are we in the Word of God on a regular basis? Are we praying? Are we depending daily upon the Lord? Are we longing for fellowship with the Lord and with one another? Is that something that is in our minds as believers? What's the motivation for that? Are we maybe too attached to earthly things that we can't even see those heavenly things. So those are some questions that we asked, and that was kind of in the beginning of the series. And then we talked about the desire to be with the body of Christ, and we spent a whole, one whole day on that. And we found out that it's more than just attending church, didn't we? That when we come together, the idea is that we are sharpening one another. <laughs> and when we define that, I mean, there were people looking at me like, what are you talking about? But when we come together, according to the author of Hebrews, we are supposed to sharpen one another. That requires that we get in each other's what? Personal space. That is uncomfortable. Last week, we looked at the first part of this letter together and saw that the Lord reminded through John reminded these believers about who he was. And as I've thought about this more and more, I'm like, that's exactly what needed to happen. John needed to point out the fact that the Lord that they served is omnipotent. You remember we read that last week. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And that focuses on his power, his his. his his authority that he is an all-powerful God and we said the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands he's not walking among them one at a time he's among all of them at the same time just like he is today Uh, we talked about the fact that he's omnipresent and then remember he introduced to his audience his omniscience and I walked away last week going you know what we need to be reminded of that don't we we need to be reminded that, listen, we're not serving some wooden object or metal object. We are serving the God of all creation. He is way different than you and me. He is holy, holy, holy. And I think sometimes we have a mindset, well, he's my buddy next door. No. He is God Almighty. You know, graciously, he allows us into his presence. Only through the blood of Christ. So you have to get all that right. Because otherwise we'll start thinking more of ourselves than we ought to. And so the church at Ephesus is reminded of the omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience of the Lord. So we went from this is your Lord to this is your life. This is your life. Now, remember, as we talked about the church in terms of history, we saw their life when the church started, when Paul met them, the Ephesian elders at Miletus, and this, this tremendous love that was going on between the Apostle Paul, right? You remember that? In 57, Paul called the elders to Miletus, and he's like they're loving on each other. And, and there are tears coming from these guys because they love being around their brother. You're like, we look at that. How do you look at that? How do you see that? That's a good thing. There was so much genuine affection for one another. And then in 62, remember, we said that the Apostle Paul wrote to them a letter. And there's a lot of great things in that letter. If you start with Ephesians 1, if you just want to study it this afternoon or read it this afternoon, this is the way you need it. Chapters 1 through 3, he talks about who you are in Christ. In chapters 4 through 6, he says, because you are born again, because you belong to Christ, live like this. You won't get out of chapter 1, but eventually you'll make it to chapter 4. But that's the outline of the book. And then we fast forward the pages 30-something years, and we arrive in 96, where this letter is given to not only the church at Ephesus, but it's circulated throughout the churches in Asia Minor. So all of them would have been privileged to this letter, and guess what? You and I are privileged to this letter. So, if we're privileged to this letter, then we have to consider what's being said. And this is what he says about their life. Now, some 30 years later, second generation Christians are present at this time. Um, so, he starts out and he says this, I know your deeds. That word deeds there is the word erga in the Greek. It's works. I know your works. Now, that's going to come back into play in verse 5. Um, This has been an incredible study for me to go through, just word by word by word. When I'm considering what Jesus is saying to his church at Ephesus, I mean, he is commending them. They're committed people. He says, I know your deeds, and I know your toil. Now, that word toil deserves attention. The word in the original language means this. I know that you labor to the point of exhaustion and even tears. That's quite a statement, isn't it? If These people are laboring to the point of exhaustion and tears for the cause of Christ. Man, I think I've done that some in my life. I've had tears. It happens in the ministry. You labor to the point of exhaustion, that happens in ministry. But it's interesting when I begin to think about how would you compare that, right? Laboring to the point of exhaustion or tears, i thought about the family. Parents labor to the point of exhaustion and tears with their children. True or false? True. Let's do that again. True or false? True. And finally, when the kids get married one day and they wake up and they call you and say, Hey! You're like, yeah, hey, <laughs> right? So these guys were laboring to the point of exhaustion and tears for Christ. And notice here he says, and perseverance. I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. That word expresses bravery and persistence. I'm thinking, man, being brave for Christ. Yeah, I can see that, right? You look at the early church, you look at what was going on in that context with Domitian being ruler right, in Rome, and the persecution that was going on, and these guys, man, they're just plowing through it. You're like, <laughs> keep going. You say, yeah, but we got it really good right now. We're not suffering a bit, and this is wonderful. Yeah, but there's tomorrow, and there's next week, and there's next month, and there's next year, and do you know what tomorrow holds? Do you? I don't. Do you want next year holds? I don't. Do you? No, you don't. There's only one that does. And the scripture is clear that the godly in Christ Jesus will do what? Class? Suffer. That's what it says in the book of Romans. So there has to be a persistence in our minds. If we're going to go through the Christian life, right? And it's like, I don't care if there's red lights and the world's saying this and the world's saying that. I'm continuing on for the cause of Christ. He says, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. And then he says that you cannot endure evil men. That word endure there means um, tolerate, right? You cannot tolerate. Some translations have that word. They cannot tolerate evil men. Like evil men in the church? Yeah, that can happen, can't it? Can't it, class? It can. And you know what? It does. You remember what the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders at Miletus? And this applies to the next point too. That there would be some that would rise up even in the middle of them. (laughs) You're like, whoa. it's a pretty strong warning. So what were they not tolerating? Well, in the context, they're not going to tolerate false doctrine. These guys were, hey, we're not tolerating false doctrine. By the way, if a church tolerates false doctrine, you know what's going to happen? They're going to tolerate loose living. Are you listening to me? It's just the truth. If a church says, look, it really doesn't matter how people behave in their marriage, does it? Does it matter? It matters. Class, why does it matter? God says it matters. Uh-oh. And if God says it matters, then what does the church have to do? Pay attention. You say, yeah, but I don't, want, I don't know what to do in my marriage, Really? I got good news for you read Ephesians 5 what does it tell us as husbands what are we to do love our wives as Christ loved the church who's the head of the home husbands and wives husbands right you guys this is not a refresher course is it husbands you say does that matter It matters. It matters to who? It matters to Thad. Well, no, no, it matters to God. So we have to be careful not to tolerate things that are false. Things that are evil. Notice what he says. He says, and these are all good things. He says, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. False. How would you test whether someone was an apostle? Good question. Here are the answers. Clear from Acts chapter 1. An apostle saw the resurrected Christ. Correct? Correct. That's what the Bible says in Acts 1. So you had 11 or 12 and then you had 11. You remember Judas is gone. But then you had one who replaced him and that was... Matthias. But there was one other apostle. Who was he? Paul. You can talk out loud. Paul. Paul was an apostle. Did he see the resurrected Christ? Answer, yes. Acts chapter 9. Second question they would have asked is, were you personally called by him to ministry? Were the apostles personally called by the Lord to ministry? Answer, yes. Was Paul? Answer, yes. Now notice the effort that these guys went to to check that out. He says, you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. That word found there is a picture of making effort. Listen. The Lord put his church together just like he wants it to be. Is that true? Yes. It's true. Does he care how that's managed? Answer, yes, he does. Yeah, there are churches today that are just going rogue. Just the truth. They're not following the word. They have women in positions of authority over men. Does God speak about that? Answer, yes. Is it popular? Answer, no. Do people want to skip over it? Answer, yes. I mean, that haven't you heard? It's the 21st century. Listen, we appreciate all the women that labor in the body and grace very much. I do. Well, I saw three of them up here laboring today. I appreciate the women that labor. But is there an order according to the Lord? Answer, Yes. But you know what? For the sake of the culture, we'll just accept it. Mm. Mm. Notice what he says. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. There's a lot right there to unpackage. That word endured there means carry burdens. They were carrying burdens. That's what happens in the church. There's burdens that are carried. But that word perseverance is a really interesting word. It means to remain under pressure, under trials, under sufferings. So the Lord Jesus is saying to them, you have been under trials, pressures, and sufferings. But notice what he says, but you've not grown weary. What does it mean to bear up under trials and sufferings? Well, let me give you an example. I read this story about this Polish believer. Doesn't tell me in the story, doesn't even give a date. So I have no date with this. That doesn't matter. It's an incredible story. This woman came to know Christ. And she was met with hostility by her family. There's no mention of a husband in here, but there's mention of two girls and a boy. And she would attend these um, evangelical meetings on a regular basis before her family found out that she had been converted. And when her two children found out, or three children, two boys, uh, one boy and two girls, One day she was making her way out to go to one of the meetings, and one of the girls just grabbed her, wouldn't let her go. And one of the girls was pulling her hair while the other was grabbing her, and her son had an axe in his hand, like he was ready to use it. The story goes on to say that she was fearful. You would be too, right? And she was trembling, but listen to her response to the actions of her children she looked at her children and she said i want you to know i love the lord jesus (laughs) who's doing that right i mean who's doing that who has a mind to do that i was just amazed by that then she burst into tears and from weakness sank to the floor but immediately her son dropped the axe and he left her and for about a year, this went on, where she was, her kids were restraining her from going to these meetings until one day, and during this whole time, she's been praying for her children. And one day, one of the girls comes to the mother and says, Jesus is now my Savior. See, that was awesome, right? But that's not the end of the story. the girl that came under conviction of sin went with her mother to the meeting the very next time they met. And you know what she did? She stood up in front of those that were meeting and she told them the story of how Christ changed her life. Was it worth it for that mother? (laughs) Absolutely it was. Is it worth it to suffer for the gospel of Christ? Yes, the apostles did. They were martyred, all but John, and he was thrown in a hot cauldron, of, a pot of, of oil. That doesn't sound too good. All of them suffering for the gospel of Christ. That's that word, perseverance. These guys were suffering under the rule of Domitian. He was persecuting Christians. He said, and the Lord Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you have perseverance. You're enduring for my name's sake. And notice he ends it with, and you have not grown weary. That word weary, we can identify that with that, can't we? You can shake your head, class. We grow weary, don't we? I like what D.L. Moody said about this. When asked if he ever grew weary, D.L. Moody said, I grow weary. Listen to this, it's very important. I grow weary in the work, but not of the work. You get that? I grow. You grow weary in the work, don't you, parents, of raising children, but not of the work because you what? You see the big picture. Hey, look out there. I'm willing to take all this so that my child will come to Christ because eternity is at stake. We live so much in the moment. Guys, eternity is at stake. If you're here this morning, listen, know this. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. To shed his blood. And He didn't stay in that grave, did he? He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible tells us that we're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing else. Do you believe? Today. Then he closes talking about their commitment. He says, Yet this do you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We're going, What are the deeds? What are the works of the Nicolaitans that they hated? Many theologians believed it centered on idolatry and immorality. Does God hate idolatry? Answer, yes. Immorality? Answer, yes. All immorality. We tend to categorize immorality. Well, he hates this sin. This one isn't as bad. He hates it all. I can't tell you how many times I've needed a reminder of that in my life growing up. He hates it all. Sin is detestable to the Lord. So he commends them a pretty good bit. I mean, if you're standing there And just looking at it, it's the first time you've ever read this letter. You're going, church of the year, church at Ephesus. They get the ribbons. They're doing well. But then you come to verse 4. You're like, whoa, what's going on here? And I think it's a good question, what's going on here? (laughs) I think it's a little more complex than you've left your first love. What is that tied to? Notice what he says, verse 4. But I have this against you. That you've left your first love. Now this is the way it reads in the Greek. And I know you probably at times grow weary of me telling you about the Greek. But please don't because it's, it's the word. And the order is important. The word order in the Greek is this. Your first love you have left. It's a statement of fact. Your first love you've left. So the question becomes, first love, what is that? What is he saying is it love for the Lord? Man, did you read just verses 2 and 3? I mean, who's who's suffering unless you love the Lord? Right? I looked at that and I go, okay, well, these guys may have been waning in their love for the Lord. And most theologians believe that's what it is. So I'm like, okay, well, should I jump in the boat of most theologians or should I study more? I should jump in the boat. No, I should study more. So I'm like... Asking myself these questions. I ask myself questions all the time in my office. No one answers me. But the Lord does say, Thad, study more. So as I'm studying, I'm looking at this, I'm kind of, okay, who did they leave? Because the word leave there means um, to abandon or to forsake. So did they leave the Lord? And you know, was, it, was it about their love for the Lord? Did they, were they waning in that love for him? I would tell you, most theologians believe that. And I say that can be part of it, but I don't believe that's the whole of it. I think it's a part of it. And I'm going to show you why. Um, A.T. Robertson, by the way, said that leaving describes an intentional act. In other words, they intentionally left their first love. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, in their commentary on Revelation says, their love had been replaced by a lifeless orthodoxy. In other words, they were just behaving like religious people. I'm looking at it going, okay, well, but the things they were doing were pretty commendable, weren't they? I mean, if you look at it just on paper, you go, wow, that's pretty good. In fact, in parts of it, you go, that's very good. So is there is he speaking about leaving the first love, does it reference the Lord, or does it reference other believers? In other words their love for other believers had grown cold. Maybe. Maybe it's not one or the other, but it's both. And they're linked together. Because if you are waning in your love for your brothers and sisters, what's going on? Your vertical relationship, fellowship's not right. Correct? If I'm having a difficulty loving my brothers and sisters in Christ, in that horizontal thing, then I have to check my vertical. Because I am not allowed, listen to me, I am not allowed to pick and choose in the church who I want to fellowship with or love. Am I? Uh Uh-uh. You say, well, how do you know that, Thad? I'll tell you how. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you something. Because in this text, in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul commends them for something. So the question we're presented with is when he talks about leaving their, leaving their first love, is he talking about the Lord or is he talking about their brothers and sisters in Christ? Is he talking about the attitude with which they were doing these things? Uh, well, it could be all of that. Because notice in his commendation of them 35 years earlier, I want you to listen to what it says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and listen to this, and your love for all the saints. And your what? Love for all the saints. Two things there. The word love is agape. And then there's another word there. Your love for some of the saints, or most of the saints. Uh Uh-uh. Your love for what? all the saints we could dismiss with prayer on that couldn't we and go home and think about that because agape love is not something we just say agape love is a commitment to serve others it's a commitment to put others where behind you or in front of you in front of you in front of you and so this church 35 years earlier was commended for their love for all the saints. But when I come to Revelation chapter 2, do you notice in these verses of commendation that there's nothing said about their love for one another? Is there? No. There's nothing said about their relationship with one another, is there? No, there's not. And so I'm going, okay, well, what's he talking about? What does it mean that they had left their first love? Well, I think the answer, or at least we're helped with the answer in verse 5. This is the answer. Notice what he says to them in verse 5. He says, first of all, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. In other words, because you've left your first love, remember from where you have fallen. Or put it in in the context of the verse, remember where you were at first. Where were they at first? Where were they at first? Class. Where were they in their love? Good, right? They were doing very well. Their love was there for all the saints. But you come to Revelation chapter 2, and something's happened. Because he's telling them, remember from where you have fallen, remember your first deeds. You remember that word deeds was in verse 2, wasn't it? And that word is works. So he says, I know your works. In verse 2 in verse 5, he says, do the first deeds. And you're like, hold on a second. How does that tie into verse 4? So he says, first of all, remember therefore from where you have fallen, and then what does he tell them to do? By the way, remembering demands discipline and no distraction. If we're going to remember... If we're truly going to sit there and go, okay, I need to remember what was going on when I first met Christ, I need no distractions. So he tells them, remember from where you've fallen and repent. How many times does he say repent in those verses? Twice. So when there's repentance, there's what? A sin problem. There's a sin problem going on. What in the world was the problem? Well, he tells us in verse 4, they had left their first love. But when you're trying to figure out what's he talking about, you're forced to come to verse 5 and deal with the word deeds. Because he tells them to remember, he tells them to repent, which means to turn, it means to change one's mind. In other words, he's telling them, do a 180. You're not where you need to be. Do a 180. Do the will of the Lord. That's what you need to do. So he tells them, in verse 5, the solution to their problem. Remember, repent, and then what does he say? Do the first deeds. (laughs) So, you have to stop there and go, okay. In verse 4, he says, you've left your first love. That's your problem. In verse 5, he's telling them, this is what you need to do. Remember, repent, and do what? Do the first deeds. You're like, okay, hold on a second. Somehow, some way, them leaving their first love connects to their deeds. When you think of deeds of good works in the body of Christ, what do you think about? Others. You think about others. So take a look around. Right now, do this. I didn't do this first. Service. Look around. Look behind you. Look to the side of you. Right now, do it. There are people in here first service that you don't get to see right now a lot of times. So you look at this and you go, okay, he tells them the solution to the problem. Remember, repent, and do the first deeds." So the question is twofold. Are there deeds that are missing? Were they not doing something? Or were the things they were doing absent of love? Hmm. That's where my anchor is. I'm going, okay, the things they're doing, all those are good things, but there's something missing. What is it? Love. Love for Christ. Maybe it was waning. But love for others. And when love for others is waning, then what happens? You have to look at your love for Christ. You say, okay, but give me something practical to hold on to. In other words... What were these first deeds? Well, these first deeds were motivated from a sense of love for the brothers and love for Christ. So something was going on there that was not good. And I kind of hold the position that their love in the things that they were doing was not being expressed. Which was then means their love for the Lord may have been off some too. You say, well, but how does that... What do, what do you mean by that? I'm going to give you an example. It's right from the text. What does he commend them for? Well, if you look back at verse 2, he commends them for not enduring evil men. He commends them for putting to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and they found them to be false. They're, they're, committed, they're, they're commended a lot for their what? Their doctrine, right? Holding to sound doctrine, they're commended for that. They're committed. They're commend, commended for holding to the truth, right? For standing against evil. Well, can you stand for something and love be absent in the body of Christ? Answer: Yes. I want you to listen to this well, because this is more complex than. Some theologians have made it, well, they left Christ. Well, they didn't leave Christ. They were enduring suffering for Christ. That didn't make any sense. They weren't leaving Christ. Their love was no longer the motivation in their service for Christ. And so when they were met with false teaching, instead of going to someone in love, what were they doing? Hey, here's how you correct false teaching. Bam! Listen to me. You say, with that, where do you get that? I'm glad you asked. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to show you something. This particular man had a relationship. You need to go there. This particular man had a relationship with the church at Ephesus. It's mentioned right here in the text. The church at Ephesus was committed to correct doctrine. And we know that from first Timothy chapter one, verse three. Notice what it says. Listen to this. As I urged you, and Paul's writing to Timothy, upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. And this is listen, so he's at Ephesus. So what's he supposed to do at Ephesus? This is the same church that we're talking about here in Revelation, except thirty years earlier. Remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. You mean there are men teaching strange doctrines that are in the church? Answer, yes. Listen to what Paul said to the uh, elders at Miletus, the Ephesian elders. He said, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or counsel of God. And then he says, Be on guard for yourselves. And for all the flock among, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He's, listen to this, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things. Uh-oh. So it's not just the people outside that are the issue, it's the people what? Inside. Well, how do we handle those people inside there that are standing in areas of false doctrine? We take this Bible, we bang over the head with it, right? Is that what we do? Answer, no. That's not what we do. You say, hold on a minute, Thad, you're not going to stand for for sound doctrine? I'm going to stand all day long for sound doctrine. Let me give you some examples. Are you going to stand with me on the deity of Christ? Please shake your head yes. Are you going to stand with me defending the humanity of Christ? Please do that. That's not talked about enough. right? Are you going to stand with me on the authority of Scripture? Yes. Those are primary doctrines, and there's others, but those are primary doctrines. Are you going to stand with me in the area of spiritual gifts, the same viewpoint as me? Maybe not. Maybe not, right? That can happen. How many believing brothers and sisters do you have that have different viewpoints on gifts? Several. Primary doctrine? No. Secondary doctrine. Important? I think so. You have some in eschatology that have different viewpoints, right? Some believe that we're in the kingdom right now. I don't know how they get that. I just struggle with those poor people. They they don't believe in a rapture. Those poor people. But I am not going to take my Bible and beat them over the head over that issue. Now, I'm going to stand where I stand. Don't get me wrong. But if somebody's standing in the wrong place with the deity of Christ, I have to do exactly what Paul tells Timothy to do here. I can't let that go by. Now, I have a discussion when it comes to spiritual gifts or eschatology And go, okay, we can just agree to disagree. But I can't, I'm not going to agree to disagree on the deity of Christ. I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. But how do I do that? With another brother or sister? Well, look what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach what? Strange doctrines nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Notice what he says. So he said, hey, look, you need to be committed to these things. Aren't you glad he didn't end with verse (laughs) 4? Might as well have a boxing glove in your hand. He says what? Verse 5, but the goal of our what? Instruction is... Class, love. You know why I sit down with someone to talk about the deity of Christ? Because I want them to be convinced by what God says about himself. Am I going to win my brother or my sister by coming at them with boxing gloves? No. You know what I need to do? I need to love them to death. You say, with that, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. Absolutely you can. With the help of the Lord. And if you know me well, which some of you are getting to know me, but if you know me well, you'll know I'm standing on the book. I'm standing on this book. All day long. And I have a lot of convictions that come from this book. I have convictions in eschatology, but I'm not going to argue with a person endlessly about it. But you know what I will do in love? If a person comes up to me and denies the deity of Christ, I'm gonna say, Won't you have a seat? Let's just look at what God's word says. You take it. Let's just see what God says. Don't make it about yourself. Let's just see what God says. Well, guys, it seems to me that what they had left was central to ministry itself. You remember 1 Corinthians 13 and what we read? What needs to be in in all ministry? Love, love, love. And so he says, do the first deeds. You did it first. Go back to that. And then he tells them something pretty strong. He gives them the solution to the problem, and then he says, or else I am coming to you. And will remove your lampstand, remove your presence out of its place until you what? Until you repent. You say, that, what in the world happened to the church at Ephesus? You know, church history records that it was a vibrant church all the way until the fourth century or fifth century. In fact, there was a council, a church council held in 431 in Ephesus. So, what happened to these guys? There are historians that report that, hey, there was a turnaround in the life of these Ephesian believers. That love was accompanying everything they were doing. But do you know the rest of the story of the church? The city itself in the 14th century... Was uninhabited, meaning there was no one there. It was destroyed. It was gone. It was no more. Man, when I was reading all that history about it, I was like, oh my goodness, Lord. What's going to happen to Grace Community Church if the Lord doesn't come for the next hundred years? Will this fellowship of believers still be going? You know what? If we're just laboring to labor, if we're just working to work, if we're just defending to defend and all that without love, it won't be here. It won't be here. But if we, as believers in Christ, keep that first love, the Lord and other believers in the right perspective, the church can continue to go on. You say, where does it need to start? You know, if we have, to have, if we have this mindset of, hey, we want to continue for the glory of the Lord, where do you start? I believe a great place to start is evaluating individually and collectively as a body, where are we in relationship to our love for the Lord? And do we know how much God loves us? When was the last time you looked at that in the Scriptures? Because that's where it all began, right? It began with God's love for us. Did you know that in the book of Ephesians, same church, They were introduced to the love of God. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it. Listen to this. They knew about the love of God. Because in chapter 1, it tells us, In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Uh Uh-oh. Woo! Man, that ought to make you want to stand up and go, I can't believe it, Lord. With all the rights and privileges that come with being a son of the Lord just amazing that's what he says in love he predestined us to adoption to son, sons through jesus christ to himself are you getting that picture we're sons of god hello wow <laughs> oh my goodness Can you imagine when they read that they're like whoa Chapter 2, listen to this. He says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, listen to this pronoun usage. Among them too, Paul says, We, we all formerly lived. Right? Right? We all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. We did. I love the way Paul includes his pronoun. I love the way he does that. He's not standing over them. He says, Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, we're all guilty. Do you know that? Every single person in this room, myself foremost, all guilty of sin. True? True. True. Children of wrath. Yes. You gotta love the first two words in the next verse. But God. Oh, hold on a second. It changed. It went from this man, and this is the position of us, how we were before Christ, but God. Listen to me. Everybody's worried about all these kinds of things going on in the world right now. But God, are you listening to me? But God, one day God's son's coming for his church. Did y'all bring your lunch? All right, just kidding. But God, he says, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Oh my goodness. How much did God love us? Paul wrote about it. God demonstrated his love toward who? Us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, if we can clap at a ball game, surely we can clap for that. Sure. Notice that word love's past tense. He loved us. He demonstrated that love. And listen to this. Even when we were dead, in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Whoa. By grace, you have been saved. Guys, none of us in this room deserve salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. In Christ alone, plus nothing else. It is not of ourselves, Paul says. So where do we begin when we consider the issue of love? We consider the love of God. I want to close with this history of this hymn. You guys have heard of the hymn, The Love of God? I'm not going to sing it. I want to tell you the background to it. The Love of God was written by Frederick M. Lehman in 1917. That was over a hundred years ago. I remember, you know, you know how you go through, there's a side note, yeah, you go through and you're filling out something and and you have to get to your birth date and you, you start doing the years on your phone. Man, I'm scrolling a lot further down than I used to. Amen. My sister said amen. So over a hundred years ago, Layman, he was a California businessman. Lucrative business, but he lost everything. He started doing manual labor. He was packing oranges and lemons in wooden crates in Pasadena, California. Just trying to get back on his feet. And one Sunday, he was so moved by a sermon on the love of God that he had trouble going to sleep. I told him first service, those of us who are older, appreciate having trouble sleeping. Those who are younger, keep sleeping. The next morning, he began jotting down lyrics on scrap pieces of paper and broken crates while he was working. And when he got home that evening, he began putting together the melody on his piano. Layman quickly pinned two verses right away. But songs in those days were considered incomplete without at least three stanzas. As he struggled to find a third verse, he remembered a poem someone had given him years before. He had kept the poem on a card used as a bookmark. At the bottom of the card, Laman found this written. These words were found written on a cell wall ...in a prison some 200 years earlier. It is not known why the prisoner was incarcerated. Neither is it known if the words were original... ...or if he had heard them somewhere... ...and had decided to put them in a place... ...where he could be reminded of the greatness of God's love. Whatever the circumstances... ...he wrote them on the wall of his prison cell. In due time, he died... And the men who had the, had the job of repainting his cell listen every this just illustrates everything matters they they The men who had the job of repainting his cell were impressed by the words and before their paint brushes had obliterated them, one of the men jotted them down, and thus they were preserved. Amazingly, the poem layman found fit the melody he had just written, and he found his third verse. This is the third verse. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bound down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child... He reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And then here's the chorus O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. As when we think about our love for Christ. And our love for others. And how does that look in my life? I think it's a great place to start to think about, hey, Lord, help me never to forget how much you loved me. Let's pray together. Lord, I know for me in this particular study this particular week just a lot to unpack and a lot to consider I see how your church was flourishing in many ways you don't suffer for Christ unless you love him but that love can kind of at times be difficult to measure seems to be that their absence of love had more to do with it being absent in their works. They were just doing their duty, so to speak. And Lord, we know how it looks when love is absent. It's cold. It it just it feels that way even. Lord, we don't want our love to be cold or get to the point where we're not demonstrating love to one another. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember the great love that our Lord and Savior had for us, that he was willing to take our sin. All of it. The sins of the whole world on himself. He was willing to bleed and he was willing to die. He was willing to be separated from his father for a period of time, something that had never happened. And to think that was all for us How in the world do we think we have any right to say to you, I will not? The Lord, we're weak. And we're burdened. And at times we're really selfish. All of us. Myself foremost. I need your helper, the Spirit of God to help me through my days so that when I wake up in the morning immediately I'm thinking about the love of God and then it causes me to think about the love that I am to have for my Savior and the love that I am to have for my brothers and my sisters in Christ and Then in turn, the love that I am to have for the unbeliever so that I might tell them of the great love of God. Lord, I believe that you are doing something in your church today of which maybe history will record as one of the most opportune times for the gospel. I want to close... By thanking you for this body of believers at grace, may we continue steadfastly in our love for you and our love for the body of Christ. And may that cause us as we begin to think through how blessed we are to know without a doubt, because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior we will live with our Savior and Lord for an eternity. Help us not to live for this world, but help us to live for the things to come. May you be honored in our day to day. We make our prayer in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. I want to remind you um, about this evening at 6.30 if you're in a small group. And if you have questions about that, you can come up and see me. And also remember that next week we will share the Lord's Supper together. Do not sit in your seat when you first come next week. You are dismissed.